So welcome, we're, we're, we're in the process of doing a Bible overview. We're kind of looking at, if you like, we're looking at the forest as opposed to the trees. We're taking a step back and having a look at kind of like the overall big picture as opposed to looking at the fine details. So you forgive me as I make some big statements and you'll be like, okay, Pastor Rob, you're going to unpack that. Um, actually, I'm not. I'm opening it up just to have a quick, pi- a, a, a quick peek, but then we're going to keep it moving because we're trying to do a big, broad brush stroke. Look at the Bible because often what we do is look at the details when I take a step back. Does that make sense? And so join with me as I, as I pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you invite us in to an incredible relationship with yourself through the Lord Jesus and that through his death on the cross. And we get to come into your family. Wow. But Father, I thank you that families start off really small, literally with a seed. And um, I pray, Father, that as we continue to look at this incredible story of the Bible, um, that you'd open the eyes of our understanding and grant us grace to grasp just this big picture And it's in the name of the Lord Jesus, I pray, and for his sake, amen. Amen. So, today we're looking at, I've got this remote, let me try it. Today we're going to be looking, it ain't working. (laughs) Today we're going to be looking, oh bro, it switched me back over, bro, for some crazy reason. Or did that come on? Oh, but that one's not working. Oh, stress. So you saw that first slide, stress. (laughs) Abraham. All right, try and work on that one, bro, thank you. Abraham, that's who we're going to be talking about. Let me go back to this one. Okay, so that works. Oh, I didn't give it away. Ha, praise the Lord. And we're going to fundamentally be looking at Genesis chapter, I got 9 for 11. It's not actually 9 for 11. It's actually 11 and 12 today. And again, going back to this broad brush kind of thing, you might be like, well, Pastor Bro, we've been in Genesis like for the past five, six weeks. Like, what, this don't seem like a broad brush. I know. But this is all fundamental and foundational. Um, <clears throat> and so as we get ready to think a little bit about Abraham, here's a question. How many of you grew up in the 80s? Just a couple of hands. Oh, my gosh. I thought I was going to get some love in here today. But Now, I went to secondary school um, in the 80s. You know what I'm saying? Really, the first part of the eight, amen, I've got a witness over there as well. The first part of the eight is I, grew, I, I went to a secondary school. And how many of you know that the eight is, is famous, you know what I'm saying, for, for groundbreaking developments such as skateboarding? It was probably invented before then, but oh my gosh, the eight is BMXing. I had a diamond back with yellow skyways and CW handlebars, yo. And if you never had a BMX, maybe you had a grifter. <laughs> that was a bit before the BMX. If you couldn't afford a, a, new, a new BMX, you had a grifter. Or if you never had a grifter, maybe a chopper. chopper. <laughs> I'm saying. But if you couldn't have a chopper, like chopper was probably like, like the cream if you had a chopper. Because it had gears on it. Free ge- Remember the gears on the chopper? Right? And I think Pastor E talked about this one time. But if you couldn't have a chopper, then you'd like a grifter. But if you never had a grifter, you had to settle for a tomahawk. We know about tomahawk. Oh boy. The 80s is classic time for body popping and break dancing. Like. (laughs) 
We know about body popping. Eight, I, I, like, I spent three years of my life given to body popping. Remember, 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 remember Beat Street? Most people remember breakdance with Turbo and Ozone, but most people don't know Beat, Beat Street. Beat Street's much more of an underground, if you, want in, if you want to know anything about. What was it like in breakdance? My girl with the, the, the ballet thing. I, I, I never really got what that was all about, but you have to watch the film. Graffiti. Like this stuff like developed in groundbreaking ways in the 80s. What do you know about fashion from the 80s? Like Farrah's. Well, you know, shoulder pads. Shoulder pads are coming back. Who would have thought? But they say that fashion is like that. It just goes, what goes around comes back around. I see a woman wearing flares the other day. I never thought that. We went to the other extreme with skinny jeans. Skinny jeans. I don't, I don't wear skinny jeans. I'm not of that age category, right? But flare, I never thought flares would have come back. Not in the days of skinny jeans. Farrah's. Remember waffles? What do you know about Lois jeans? Oh my gosh, man said Gabichi. We look know about Pringle. We know about that look. Lyland Scott. We look Yes, old for real, yeah. Old yeah. What's eighties? You know how long ago the eighties was? Don't even calculate it, because you're embarrassed man like me. It's like Pringle. If a man step out in a Pringle, not just a Pringle, a diamond Pringle. Bro. <laughs> All right, then. Here's the love. Here's the love. Diamond pr- and diamond socks. Diamond Pringle socks. And Lois jeans. And, and faded Lois at that. With, with, the, with the stripe, the, the seam, the stitched seam. Thank you, Pastor E. Bleached and frayed at the bottom of the foot. Remember that? Man, step out like that. Oh. And then probably a little rope chain. Remember to... We know about Nike Brewing. We know about Adidas Kick. Bro. We know about Adidas Samba, Mamba, and Bamba. Mikey P. <laughs> Bro, help me. We know about Jogger. We know about Adidas Jogger. Adidas Bermuda. I'm taking it back. And back in them days, this is before Jordans. You know, the first, you know when the first pair of Jordans came out? Man's chatting about, oh yeah, old school, old school Jordans. Jordans came out in 84, that's the first pair of Jordans. Prior to Jordans, no one used to chat about Nike, too tough. It was all about, it's like, my Adidas, right? It was all about Adidas. And we can't even begin to talk about music. Wow. If I ever start talking about music, the whole service mashup. We're gonna have to draw. A man's gonna have to pull out his iPod and start draw for old school '80s tunes. When if we if we're gonna start to talk about music, which we want. How many of you know that '80s was a great time if you were there to be alive? And when I think about Abraham, the Bible calls him the father of faith. And back in the '80s, there were a few iconic father figures on TV. Don't know if you remember. It's like if you couldn't find one at home, which is many of our testimonies, right? There was at least a few that you could look to on TV. A lie? Iconic 
father type figure. And look, it's like this is Fresh Prince of Bel Air, right? This uncle, I mean, this uncle Phil, but how many of you know he was a father to my man? What was, what was, what was Will Smith's character's name again? Oh, it was Will. <laughs> Would you believe all the way here? I'm thinking, what was his, what was his name again? It's Will Smith, but what was the character's? Yeah, Fresh Prince. And just, Uncle Phil just, now obviously that's, 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 that's US. How about UK? Do anybody remember like from, the, from that era, a father type figure? All right then. Okay, there's his kids. See him there? Desmond, you know. I think bo have, have both of them passed away now. I know Uncle Phil passed away in 2013. Um, I'm not sure, sure about Desmond. Look at them right there. Look, father figures, you know. Little house on the prairie, you know. <laughs> nah, we, we, we're, keeping it, we're keeping it cultural, culturally relevant, my sister. You get me? <laughs> culturally relevant. And I'm not even talking about a black and white thing, bro, if you're trying to correct me. Thank you, Pastor. Yes. Thank you, Pastor. For, I, I'm not even talking about black and white. If you're from the 80s, this stuff, whether you're black or white, is stuff you can relate to. That's what I mean, my brother. Amen. Yeah, man. So, look at them there. Father figures either scoffing or scolding <laughs> or encouraging or advising, dropping, look at Desmond there, dropping pearls of wisdom and the kids them are taking it in, unlike most kids, right? <clears throat> now, fathers, Ab this reminds me a little bit of Abraham. Abraham, the Bible calls him, <clears throat> Abraham, it calls him the father of all who believe. It also calls him, in another place, the father of faith. In another place, he's called the father of us all, making reference to believers who are part, as I prayed earlier, of God's family. Now, the question is, how does Abraham become the father of all who believe? Do you remember if you were with us for episode one and two? Remember, we talked about the seed of the serpent, and we also talked about the seed of the woman. Well, in some way, shape, or form, that's a clue as to how Abraham becomes a father. Now, fathers, by definition, uh, becomes a father, not naturally, but spiritually. Fathers, by definition, have offspring, don't they? And I've got two big questions that I want to come back to. First of all, are you, and you probably know if, you're, if you are and if you're not, are you one of Abraham's offspring? Number two is, can you trace your spiritual family tree back to Abraham? Now, this goes back again to, this is not a white and a black thing. You know what I'm saying? It's not a rich or poor thing. It's not a male or female thing. Can you trace your spiritual family tree back to Abraham? If you can, <clears throat> you'll be someone who has the same faith as your father, Abraham, but if you can't, then you've got a big problem. As I said earlier, fathers by definition have offspring. A father has a son or a daughter, right? Who goes on to have a son or a daughter or multiple sons and daughters and so on, right? We saw last week when we looked at 
the table of nations. We looked at Noah, who became, if you like, the new Adam. Because how many of you know, God started again. The new Adam, as it were. After the flood, a new beginning. But he fell foul of the virus, didn't he? That, 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 that sickness called sin. And we saw he got licked, he got drunk. Nonetheless, although he was a sinner, he had three children. Because being a sinner doesn't preclude us, doesn't prevent us from having children. He has three children, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And his children had children, more commonly known as this table of nations. And with the nations, because we did this last week, firmly fixed in our minds, let's go back now to Genesis 11, which is just after the Tower of Babel incident, right? So you might want to turn there. I'm going to put the verses up anyway. <clears throat> but going back to Genesis 11, where the plot line or the storyline of the Bible follows one of the sons of Noah, which is who? Shem, right? So here's a kind of like a blown up version of just that seed line, just that family, right? So you've got Noah, and he's got three sons. The Bible follows the seed line of Shem, our facts add, Shelah, Eb, Eber, Peleg, Ryu, Serug, Nahor and Terah, which is where we pick up the story. Terah is going to have three kids. And one of the questions that arises from our broader application of the story, or appreciation, I should say, of the story is, could this now be the setting of the stage of the great rescuer, the hero that we've been looking for? Remember? Could this... Could this now be the stepping onto the stage of the serpent crusher, the dragon slayer? Do you remember the anticipation building and building from week to week, especially last week's episode with Noah stepping off the boat? Terah is going to have three kids. In Genesis chapter 11, verse 27, now listen carefully, it says, this is the account of Terah's family line, right? The kids he's going to have. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. It's right there, just above, so you can see it. And, and Haran became the father of Lot. Now, you remember who Lot is, right? Lot of Sodom um, <clears throat> and Gomorrah fame. Verse 28, while his father Terah was still alive, Haran, right, <clears throat> who's the father of Lot, he died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. So sadly, Lot's dad, Haran, dies back home or back at the family home in Ur. Now Ur is, is, is modern day Iraq. <laughs> Just thought I'd mention that. And that's where this family is from. And, and so Terah only has two sons left alive, Abram and Nahor, right? Verse 29, Abram and Nahor both get married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. 
Now this is the introduction <coughs> to something quite amazing. Last week we saw how we saw we we saw light with we saw with the flood we saw light with the flood the previous week. Judgment juxtaposed to grace. Judgment right next to, you know what I'm saying, or in conjunction with grace. We see both of these things, remember? In the flood, we had judgment, evidently. But at the same time, we saw the ark, which spoke about grace. At the same time, literally. And what we saw last week was, the, remember Babel, the scattering of all the nations. Like they were trying to do something and God comes down and frustrates their plan and scatters them. It's a form of judgment. Remember what Vaughan Roberts said. He said, human beings from now <clears throat> were not just divided from God or separated from God, but now they were separated from one another. They were scattered as nations where they were unified, remember? And so we see the scattering of the nation. Today we'll see God's grace as he selects an individual who will become a nation. The nations get scattered, but God is going to choose a man through whom he will create a new nation, which will eventually bring blessing to all of those nations that get scattered. Can you see judgment and grace working together again? This is a pattern that you see throughout scripture, like at the cross. Judgment and mercy. Judgment and grace. And if you want a clue to how the nations get blessed, just look around the room. We'll come back to that. Now, at the end of Genesis 11, right, after the Tower of Babel, which we did last week, now we're going to get introduced to this famous character. Um, well, I suppose we've already been introduced to him in this particular section, going back to Genesis 11, because this is where we started reading a moment ago about Abram and his family and where they went and so on. Verse 29, Abram and Nahor both married, we said. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. Now, verse 30, now Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. Huh, that's a big verse, you know. Again, if you've been following the storyline what is the big challenge that you see coming based on verse 30? Sarai is childless. If, if, like the camera following Abram's family or seed line or offspring, but oh no. Here is a terrible problem. If, if Abram is potentially the father of the faith, the father of all who believe, what kind of father of faith is this? He's a father that isn't. <laughs> that is a father because he can't have kids. Can you see the building of the drama? And I don't mean that just metaphorically, but technically speaking. Can you see the building of the... Remember, we're talking about <clears throat> the big story of the Bible. The Old and the New Testament all being one story. The drama don't build in Genesis and then end in Malachi. And then, oh, okay, new story, different film. Like, switch that off, go to bed, wake up. Oh, what are we going to watch tonight? Turn on the New Testament. Like, there's a new film going to start. No, no. 
it's, 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 it's a continuation from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Don't see Old Testament, New Testament as some kind of break that separates and divides them exclusively. So, when it comes to the silver screen, there's no close second to the... <laughs> To this which is the greatest story ever told. How many of you know no good film is without drama? So how is this problem going to be resolved? Can you feel the drama? And then on the other hand, apart from being drama, this is real life. It's breathtaking as a drama, but only because it's so close to real life. That's what makes drama so dramatic. And the question is, how is Abram going to help his wife through her trauma of not being able to conceive? I'm not sure if there's any ladies who know what Sarai's going through. I don't know if there's any men who have a wife that's like Sarai, who knows what she's going through, know what he's going through. And I say that because I'm a man that experienced that. My wife is someone who experienced that. At a point in life, it was impossible for us to have children and um and that not just because we tried for six months and okay no kids like robert's firing blanks it weren't even like that we proper got tested and everything and they were like you will never have children naturally medically speaking forget it you know what i mean and um if if if, if, if maybe if you meet me for the first time today you don't know but um me and my wife we have two children by god's grace one is 21, one's 24, and completely naturally. And I'm saying, we put it down to a miracle. Bro, did you know someone, someone, um, someone accused us of being cessationists? Last week, bro, blatantly. Yeah, you know Robert and Ephraim, you know that man's a cessationist, right? <laughs> wow. Well, that's not true. I believe that God works. Miracles today. You know what I mean? Let alone 24 years ago when my daughter was born. That's why we called her Renee. Because Renee in Latin means new birth. And her middle name is Rebecca. Because Rebecca had the same drama as her mom, Sarah. Couldn't have ki kids. I, I, I just thought, if you know sometimes when you sit in a, in a circle and you're learning new things about one another and you have to say something that people don't know. That's probably one of the things that you never knew about me. Although you've probably known me for years. And Helen, my wife. Would you keep praying for my daughter, Renee? Please really would appreciate that. How is Abram going to help his wife through her trauma of not being able to conceive? And how many of you know there's no NHS? <laughs> there ain't no IVF treatment. There's no private professional counseling for her. No local support services. No citizens advice bureau. There's no adoption agency. And there ain't no local authority or independent fostering agency in Abraham's time. How are Abram and Sarah going to cope? How are the extended family going to support them? I'm trying to help you to see that this is very dramatic stuff. If you've never really played close attention. And the Bible relates to every single one of us. If only we'd give it an opportunity to speak to us. Like Pastor E said earlier. Back to, this, back to Genesis 11 verse 31. So I'm just saying I want you to see how important verse 30 is. Does that make sense? Verse 31. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson, Lot, 
son of Haran, who passed away, and his daughter-in-law, Sarai, the wife of his son, Abram. And together they set out from Ur. One of the things we can say that Abram had was his family. Alive? He had his family around him. You know what I'm saying? We're not sure if this is a result of, like, Terah saying, all right, you're having some dramas. Let's move. Let's leave this place. Let's go to a new place. You know, like when you've got a job and things ain't going so well, you're like, boy, you know what? Maybe, <laughs> maybe let me get a new job in the hope that maybe things might change. If you're married, you'd be like, oh, let me get a new man. No, 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 you don't do that. <laughs> you're a lady, you don't get a new man if you're married. If you're, if you're a man, you definitely don't go looking for a new woman. Amen. Sorry, that was supposed to be a joke. It wasn't scripted. It wasn't even scripted. It just, it's one of them mad things, isn't it? Maybe I'm just reminding myself, innit? I'm a married man. It's a reminder to all of us as married men and, and married women, amen? The Lord help us. Okay, so <clears throat> it says that, where am I, verse 32? 31. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, thank you. His grandson Lot, his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together as a family, they set up from Ur, of the Chaldeans to go to where? To Canaan. Now, I'm not going to come back to, to Canaan in this message, but we will come back to Canaan in a few weeks' time. But when they came to Haran, right, on the way, they settled there. Verse 32, Terah lived 205 years and he died in Haran. Now, if you're here for the first time today, don't be shocked at 205 years. Oh my gosh, if you was here two weeks ago, like people were living for like 900 years slowly, the argument is that particularly because of the flood, and you know there's a canopy that um, surrounded the planet at the time, that's what broke and the water came down and caused the flood. Waters came up from underneath as well. And it seems like this canopy provided just the perfect environment for health, you know what I'm saying, as, as they knew it. But once that canopy broke, the argument, or one of the arguments is that progressively the environment wasn't as conducive as it was to life. And then we see this slow digression of, of the span of life. And now, so 205 is actually quite young to die at this point, um, generally speaking, uh, biblically speaking. So, so Terah died. Okay, so <clears throat> that's a short intro to Abraham, right? Uh, before we come back to him, let's talk about something that is kind of vitally important to understanding the Bible, and that is <clears throat> covenants. Covenant. Now, I'm just going to really just touch on this, but hopefully in a way that will help as we try to move forward through our Bible overview. So, covenant, and some of this comes from the book that I've recommended that you grab, God's Big, Big Picture. I don't know if anyone's picked one up as yet, but highly recommended. Covenant is an important concept in the Bible. The, this word, it summarizes the two divisions of the Bible. Old covenant, which is the word for testament, and new covenant or new testament. Covenant. You hear about a last will and testament, right? Or a, 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 it's, a, or a, a, it's a binding agreement and no one can change it. No police. Like if, 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 if I pass away and I leave a will... No police officer, no judge, no prime minister. Nobody can change what I have put and instructed in that, in that 
test in that last will and testament. You know what I'm saying? It's an agreement that's binding. Can't be broken. And the words, the, the, the word means solemn commitment or binding promise. And, and I suppose in a general sense, you could say there are two types of covenant. There's a, what they call a unilateral covenant, which is where a promise is made and it's unconditional. And particularly on God's part, because we're talking about the covenants that he makes. Um, God promises to act unconditionally in a unilateral covenant. But then, then you have another type of covenant. It's called a bilateral covenant. Where God expects those others who are a part of this covenant or this agreement, yeah, he expects them to keep their side of the agreement, therefore it's conditional. So it's called a bilateral covenant. And covenants are often sealed, how? In blood. In blood. Like back in the day, you hear about people talk about a blood covenant. Well, I will slip my hand and pass it. He will slip his hand. I will shake on it. That's where they, they, I think that's where they say the handshake actually comes from. And my blood merges with his and his blood merges with mine. I know it's a bit of a funny thing to talk about in like 2017 because yeah, of um, blood contaminated diseases that are transferable and all of that stuff. But I'm trying to say this is kind of where it comes from. And the thing is, once we make a blood covenant, you know, it's like, it's like ride or die. It's like when if something happens to me and I call for my boy, there's an expectation that he's going to come and be prepared to lay down his life for me and vice versa. And it's funny because I just thought about like code, like code of ethic on road, like between like gangs and, you know what I mean, like certain groups of guys who have these type of commitments. I, don't, I wouldn't say they're blood covenants. I'm just saying this is not unusual for us, at least in terms of understanding when it comes to making these kinds of agreements. And historically, they were cut in blood. And then, and then in conjunction with that, you're given a sign associated with the covenant as a reminder. So, I was trying to say, I'm not going to get too deep into this. but So first of all, what's the first covenant that we see in the Bible? Anybody? Right from the gate. That's an early, that's, 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 a, that's, a, that's a clue. That's a hint. Okay, you ain't going to help me today. All right, the Adamic Covenant. The Adamic Covenant. <clears throat> it's kind of got it's two parts of the Adamic Covenant. They call it Adamic and the Edenic, Edenic. But man's put in a garden to enjoy the benefits of the garden. But don't eat from the fruit of that tree. Right? Otherwise, you will surely die. What type of covenant would you say that is? Would you say it's <clears throat> unilateral or bilateral? All right then, bilateral. God's got his part, but you got your part, Adam and Eve, right? And the implications of, and, and breaking that covenant has implications. Okay, how about the Noahic covenant? This is the covenant God made with Noah. Well, God makes a covenant, right, never to destroy the earth again by a flood, that is. What kind of covenant was that? Uni, huh? Amen. You guys are with me nicely. You, nothing's going to change that, that, that commitment, that agreement. You know what I'm saying? It's regardless of what anybody does, you're like, tickle me, says God. <laughs> I'm still not going to change my mind. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Unilateral covenant. And what's the sign of that covenant? The rainbow. You see that? It's supposed to remind us of that covenant. 
Okay, how about the third covenant? It's the Abrahamic covenant. And <clears throat> the Abrahamic covenant, God promises to raise up a nation, which we began to talk about, from Abraham's descendants and give them a land to live in. And he's going to bless them. And through them, the whole world will be blessed. The Abrahamic covenant. What kind of covenant is that? Thank you. Unilateral. Like regardless of what anybody does, God is going to keep this covenant, going to keep this agreement, you know what I'm saying, even if it kills him. And how many of you know it did? And when God died and shed his blood in that blood covenant, he didn't do it because he broke the covenant. He did it because of those who he wanted to make the covenant with broke the covenant. And if you look in the detail of the Abrahamic covenant, God says to Abraham when he's making the covenant, often they talk about cutting a covenant. That's why it references blood. And he's got to cut this animal like an ox in two. And when he cuts the ox in two, he collapses and goes to sleep. It's weird. Because what happens is God then walks in between the pieces of the animal. And that's not usual because it's the two of you when you make the covenant supposed to walk through the pieces of the slain, the slain, the, the blooded animal. But that's not what happens. God puts Abraham to sleep and God walks through it. And if you like, God is saying, you see this covenant? I'm going to keep this covenant even if it kills me. Regardless of what you do or don't do, I'm going to keep this. And it did kill him on the cross. <clears throat> What's the sign of the Abrahamic covenant? Anybody know? Thank you. Circumcision. That's the sign of the Abrahamic covenant. And again, we're trying not to look too deep at the detail. Let's step back, Robert. Look at the, look at the forest. Don't look at the trees. Mosaic covenant is the next one. Mosaic covenant. God promises the Israelites that there will be a special people, that they would be his special people, and they in turn are commanded to obey his law. What kind of covenant is that? Thank you. Bilateral. And I'm saying, God's got his part and he will keep it. You've got your part. That's why in Deuteronomy 28 and 29, you have the blessings and the... All right then. God's like, don't play with me when it comes to the Mosaic covenant. And, and you read through that and you know that he, he didn't play. What's the sign of the Mosaic covenant? Can I help us as we try, as we look at the Old Testament? Where's Richard? Oh, he was in there a minute ago. What's the sign <coughs> of the Mosaic Covenant? Think Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Before I get there, you got it, right? <coughs> the Sabbath. That's the sign of the Mosaic Covenant. And then there's another one. What's the one after the Mosaic? Son of Jesse. The Davidic Covenant. Huh. Davidic covenant. You know, there were so much covenants in the Bible. Part of your question is, how come there's an old and a new, new covenant? How come it ain't Abrahamic covenant? It's all right, don't worry. Remember, I said we're just going to introduce this topic. The Davidic covenant. And the Davidic, this is, this is really nice, because the Davidic covenant is actually a recapitulation of the, uh, the Abrahamic covenant and even the Adamic covenant. Because... <coughs> And it's also a precursor to the new covenant. When we get there. 
hopefully it will make more sense, but I'm just mentioning it in passing. Then we have the new covenant. <coughs> the new covenant. Let me just read a statement. The Israelites break their covenant obligations <coughs> and God judges them. You see that throughout the Old Testament, the old covenant. And because of their breaking of God's covenant, they end up enduring or experiencing the repercussions of that. One of the major repercussions they experience is going into exile, where God says, right, you know what? Babylon is coming to get you. You have not been listening. So here comes judgment, and then they go into Babylonian exile. Again, we'll come to that. <clears throat> but God judges. But it's funny, because in conjunction with the judgments, God also promises, particularly through the prophet Jeremiah at that time, a new and a better covenant that results not just in them coming back into their land, but results in a change of heart and complete and total forgiveness to the point where you don't have to keep offering up sacrifices. And Jesus' death on the cross inaugurates this new covenant. <clears throat> and what's the sign of the new covenant? I know Pastor Enos. Sorry? What would you say? Not the resurrection. It's something, like, it's a bit like circumcision of a previous covenant. It's something that you pretty much have to do, kind of is done to you. What do you do when you first get saved? Amen. Baptism. Baptism is the sign of the new covenant. Romans 6. <clears throat> so covenants are a bit complicated, as possibly, probably you could see. I only introduce them on a basic level at this point. Okay, back to Genesis 11 and 12. Hmm. What? Is that 36 minutes? Have I only been half an hour? <laughs> wow. I say that because, well, I don't think I've got that much left to go. But you know what it is? This is why I'm always... When you're, when you're up here preaching, teaching, speaking, time... It's like them time-lapse videos. You know when, when you see like someone like all day they're looking at a, a New York and it's daytime and then you see the sky get darker and the right a time-lapse. That's what it feels like when you're up here. I suppose it don't feel like you. It don't feel like that for you, right? Keep it moving, Pastor Rob. Keep it moving. So <clears throat> back to Genesis 11:12. We just looked at. The story of Babel in Genesis 11, right? And we saw the people divided into different nations. And these nations are scattered throughout the earth, right? Just bear with me. Beginning at chapter 11. Now, <clears throat> God is going to choose a man to become the patriarch of one of those nations. Nation ain't even really created it, but will be. And these nations... <clears throat> how... <clears throat> How is God going to choose a man to become a patriarch of one of these nations? That will also become not only a great nation, but a nation that will be a blessing to all of the other nations, the scattered nations. God now is going to call Abram. And just as, quickly as, just as quickly as God judges, there's grace. Just as quickly as God scatters, he's now going to implement a plan to see the same nations that are now scattering. He's now also putting in a plan that's going to lead to their blessing and then being benefited. Now, what does that sound like? 
Can you hear the echoes of judgment and grace? What was the first, what was the first place we saw? We saw people scattered, but at the same time they were scattered, God put in a plan to bless. Where was that? Do you remember? Oh, I remember. forget that you ain't helping me. In the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve were kicked out, scattered from the garden, Genesis 3.15 and I'm saying he promises a hero that's going to eventually save. You remember that? As then here, God scatters at Babel, but immediately has a plan to redeem. Remember, we talked about redemption being the big part of the Bible. This is where we're at now. And if you look carefully, it's a progressive revelation, really, of Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. The promised seed. He begins this process of calling now. The seed bearer, like, my gosh. There are times throughout biblical history when there's an individual that is so significant to God's plan. You know what I'm saying? And God's plan is housed in a human being. The whole, like, the plan of the ages and the cosmos, all wrapped up in one man. See Paul sit down there in front of me, you know what I mean? And I think, what, 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 what plan does God have wrapped up in you? You know what I'm saying? It's not going to be the plan like he had for Abraham that's going to lead to Jesus. You know what I'm saying? But God's got a plan for each one. I look at Reuben. Look at Reuben Tan, big man. Got more hair, facial hair than me. You know what I mean? And more muscles. You, you, you wish. <laughs> you wish. <laughs> You've been getting gym in it. You think I don't know? It's all right, man. Don't worry. <laughs> God's plan is going to be furthered through this man, the seed bearer. You know what I'm saying? And out of this man, God's nation, a particular group of people are going to be birthed. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 says, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I'll make you into a great, not just the nation, a great nation, and I will bless you. Listen to how many times that word bless comes up. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And, and I want you to note that in here, well, let me keep reading. You will be a bless. I, notice how many times it says, I, speaking of God, nothing to do with Abraham. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All peoples on earth will be blessed through... This is not a light statement. All peoples on the earth will be blessed through you, Abraham. I'd say it's pretty significant. That's why he's the father of faith, the father of all who believe. Can you... Can you hear the covenant language? That's why I talked about covenant. Blessing and curses. Can you hear that in there? Can you hear or can you see the, the unilateral, the unconditional nature of this promise, of this testament, of this covenant? Can you see that? Can you see, can you see yourself in these verses? Remember I said, look round the room. This is the Abrahamic covenant. And where is this located in the Bible? 
I know it's a simple question. It's not a trick question. Where's this located in the two categories of the Bible? It's in the Old Testament. I'm trying to show us that the old and the new is one story. Look, listen to what John Stott says and just let this sink in for a moment. He says, it may truly be said without exaggeration that not only the rest of the Old Testament, but the whole of the New Testament are an outworking of the promises to Abraham. This is the gospel. This is, this is good news. Remember, we divided up the Bible into just four words. We said, if you had to break the Bible up into four words that describe the whole Bible, here it is. Creation, fall, redemption, and recreation. And we are now in that section. Like I said, the biggest section of your Bible. Where it's talking about redemption. God bringing people who are lost back to himself. You see where the plan started? Don't think the plan started in Matthew. <laughs> so if you like, this gets right to the heart of redemption. And the rest of our studies will pretty much be an unpacking of this promise. This promise to Abraham. We see the, the amazing story of how God faithfully will keep his promise. Keep his covenant. Can you, can, you, can you begin to see how the Bible is completely and utterly and totally different? It's unique if you want to categorize it as a religion. There's nothing, there's nothing like this. There's nothing like this. You know what I'm saying, brother? Instead of, instead of you trying your hardest to figure out how to get to God... God already beat you to the punch. I'm saying God has already taken initiative to work out a plan that would mean him coming to you. Not you getting looking for him. Be like, oh man, I've been seeking God, you know, I've been looking for God. Oh really? Yeah man, and I found him. <laughs> yeah. Become a Christian a year ago. Yeah, I found God. Like God was, God weren't lost. I'm the one that was lost. I'm saying Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray, we've all turned to our own way. God took the initiative and, and, and notice, this is going to see its outworking through this man, this simple man called Abram, this sinful man even called Abram. Through him God would provide amazing blessing. This is the Abrahamic covenant. And a covenant has three important elements. I'm going to show you them and then we're done. A covenant has three important elements. One, blessing. Two, people. And three, the land. And this ultimately finds its ultimate fulfillment in the New Testament. So first of all, blessing. Listen to Galatians now. New Testament, right? You think different story? No, same story. Verse 7 says, understand then. Why does he say understand? Because he wants us to understand. That those who have faith, which remember which category are you in? Those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw 
that God would justify the, the Jews? No. The, any, any Jews in here today? I'm sh- I swear this is a room full of Gentiles. That is non-Jews. Right? That, that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. Oh my gosh. God announced the gospel. You'd be like, oh, the gospel is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. God would announce the gospel or the good news. We see it demonstrated in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But that same good news we see God announce in advance to Abraham. And, and here it is, that all nations will be blessed to Abraham through you. So that those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Blessing. The second thing is people associated with this covenant. In these next verses, <clears throat> it's, it's nearly been 25 years since God originally spoke to Abraham the first time in Genesis 12. 25 years later. Abraham, and he's, <laughs> he's been waiting for a son, isn't it? And he's got no children, he's got no son, no hope of offspring. It seems pretty impossible, especially at 99 years old, as well as his wife. But in chapter 11, Abraham travels to Egypt. Chapter 13, Abraham and Lot have drama and they separate, if you remember. And Abraham in chapter 14, <clears throat> Lot gets in trouble. <laughs> and I'm saying in, in Sodom and Gomorrah. And he's delivered by Abram. And then we see this mysterious individual step into the pages of scripture called Melchizedek. And in chapter 15, God cuts the covenant with Abram. When I talked about the animal sacrifice and God alone passing through that carcass. And then in chapter 16, you have the unfortunate event with Hagar. Where Abraham tries to work out God's plan himself. Then in chapter 17, (laughs) it's funny because chapter 17 begins with a rebuke. Verse 1 says, when Abram was 99 years old. The Lord appeared to him and said, I am almighty God. This is probably because of him. He got caught slipping with Hagar, right? So he says, he says, I am almighty God. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and, and will greatly increase your numbers. See, people, right? Because this, this is the second part of the promise. Abram fell face down and God said to him, as, and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. It's like, now how, however I got to get you there, I'm going to get you there. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting. You hear in that the Davidic covenant. That's why I said it's a recapitulation even of the Abrahamic covenant. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. So the promise of people, a multiplicity of them at that. The third promise 
is land. Blessing people land. Genesis 17 verse 8 through 11 says, The whole land of Canaan. Remember, that's where they set off from. That's where they were setting out to go to originally. He says, the whole land, land of Canaan, which became known as what? Israel. Thank you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant. You and your descendants after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you. The covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision and it will be what? It will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. Blessing, people, land. <laughs> but there's more. The promise of the land, does it doesn't just end with a literal, physical, Jewish state in the Middle East called Israel. There's a new Israel. A heavenly land, a heavenly city called Jerusalem, or the Jerusalem that is above. Hebrews 11. says, by faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went. Talking about the land, right? Even though he did not know where he was going. Now this is Hebrews, not Genesis. By faith he made his home in the promised land. That's why it's called a promised land, because it was the land that God promised. He made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, his son and his grandson, right? who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. It's funny because he's living in the land, but he's looking for another land whose builder and maker is actually God. Unlike Babel last week, where the people were trying to build an earthly city, remember? God's building another city. And actually, we are members of that still city. The Bible calls us, the church, a city set on a hill. It's the church. Even our name, Ecclesia, us here as a church, the word Ecclesia is the Greek word for church. It's just a word, it, it means assembly. In Acts chapter 6, Stephen talks about the church in the wilderness, or the assembly, or God's people in the wilderness. It's a reference to the children of Israel after the Exodus. The point is God has been building a people or God has been building a city since Israel came out of slavery. And even before then, since, since Abraham, when he left Iraq, you go back even further, since Noah, when he came off the ark, God has actually been doing it since Genesis 3.15. He's been, which was his original intention, that is to have a city, not just a garden filled with people, but a city filled with people. People that are called by his name, his people, saved by his designated hero, who's the seed of the woman. That is Jesus. So Adam... Abel, Noah, Shem, Terah, 
and Abraham, they're just important links in the chain of salvation history, redemption history. And with reference to them, I'm going to invite the, the, the team to come up in a minute. All these people, they were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. That goes to show it was more than just land. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were looking for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. God starts off with a man who becomes a father, who has a family. The family gets so big, <laughs> it can only now be described as a city. <coughs> Remember my first, two, well my, my first question that had two parts. Are you one of Abraham's offspring? Can you trace your spiritual family tree back to Abraham? And you know, the beautiful thing is, Uncle Phil, when, 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 when Will first came, he was embarrassed by him and he was a bit of a rogue, weren't he? But eventually he, he came to love that young man. And it's the same thing with us. The scripture says, God is not ashamed to be called our God. How many of you know we're rogues? Worse than Will Smith, the Prince of Bel-Air. You know what I'm saying? But God's not embarrassed. He's not ashamed to call us his children. It's bigger than Abraham being our father. God wants to become our father. <clears throat> so as the, as the band come, would you, would you pray with me? Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.